You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. So today, we continue in our Ephesians series. Last week, we talked about marriage. The Sunday before that, we talked about marriage and the relationship between men and women And these are, and the Sunday before that, we talked about submitting to one another. These are the submission verses of the book of Ephesians. So again, we get hit with another submission this morning. Today, parents and children. And so I want to talk to you about this concept today of that of parents teach, children obey, and God is glorified. Now, let me say before we begin, as we have, I guess, prefaced each week over the last couple of weeks together, that this kind of teaching, along with marriage, is a teaching that can find itself to be very laden with guilt for a lot of people. And so I want to just bring that out and talk about it for a moment before we get into the teaching this morning. Because I think that, you know, the demographics of this room are very broad. And so there are people in this room that have had very great experiences in this area of parenting, and then some of you in this room have struggled as well. And and what I realize is, first of all, that all parents struggle. I mean, everybody does, and we're going to talk about that in a moment and why. But also, then there are moments when children, even when we enact these principles in their life, seem to go their own way. And so I want to say to you, in this process of talking about this, There's great grace and mercy. So just inhale and exhale, okay? Understand that. And uh, just because your child is is not the angel that you thought they were going to be, you know, raising them and is not as now, does not necessarily mean that you have failed. And so we want to talk about that as well in a moment. But I want to just paint this picture, if we want to call it that, with a great brush of grace and mercy of God in our lives today, and that we get it some some days right as parents, and some days we get it wrong. Can I get an amen on that? Sure, absolutely we do. So let's just come to that agreement today as we work our way through this text. We'll start in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Then we're going to move to the book of Psalms, Psalm 78, where we'll get the bulk of our teaching this morning. But you say, maybe you might be sitting here and saying, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not in that place of my life. So I want to just kind of level the ground for a moment. So here's who it applies to today, this teaching. If you are a child of another human, it applies to you, right? Uh That kind of levels it. Do I need to even go through the rest of the list? But I want to, right? If you are a parent or a parent, if you are an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a foster parent, an adoptive parent, if you attend a church that has children in it, if you are a follower of Christ, then this applies to you. So this applies to all of us this morning. Ephesians 6 verse 1 Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I want to touch on these first four verses. 
Then the last part of verse 4 will kind of give us the subject matter for our teaching this morning. And that is, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So how does this apply to us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and family members and as a church as well? Because I think that we can teach our kids a lot of things about great life principles and life applications. And those things are amazing as parents and as a church as well. I think they're very good. But I couldn't get away from this point when Paul says here, bring them up. To teach them. As Jordan said prior to me coming up, to model, to nurture them in two things, he says. In discipline and instruction. And so when we think of discipline, we think of reprimand. But there's even a greater meaning of what Paul is saying. He's talking about spiritual discipline. The spiritual disciplines of our walk with Christ. And, and that of being disciplined as an individual and in how we conduct our life and our behavior in this world. And instruction, that is being to inform or to introduce or to warn of the Lord. So there is great meaning here that Paul gives us. But then he says he's talking to children. So who is he speaking with? You know, who is he speaking with? And so when I began to look at the word that he uses there, it is a word that refers to younger children. But it's also a word that is referred or used as an affectionate term to adults that are children. Now, our son Grayson, you know, Reba and I um, had him. Well, actually, Reba had him. I was there, right? Truth of the matter, right? And so we were 42 years old. And so our family, along with his two older brothers, and then when they got married, everybody adopted this name for Grayson. And we call him Gray Baby. And so I'm, I'm just telling you that. Now, this is not something for you to let him know. I told you this, right? But we called him Gray Baby. He's 23, or be, will be 23 in a few days. He's larger than I am. And, and so we still call him Gray Baby. We were at the Citadel, as one of you know. He graduated from the Citadel in Charleston as a cadet there. And uh, we were standing in front of some of his peers one day. And it actually just came out of my mouth without me even knowing. And I called him Gray Baby in front of all of his friends. And that is not the environment that you want your father to call you baby in, right? And I called him that. And so I don't know what repercussions he had of that. But to us, he was Gray Baby. So it means that as well. It also refers to you adults that act like children sometime. It also refers to that of our relationship with God. But contextually, he's talking to younger children. Let me define that. Children that are totally dependent upon their parent is what he's talking about. So, for all of you overbearing parents in the room, love you, but if you are like 65 and you have a child that is 40 and you pull this verse out and you tell them they have to do what you tell them to do still in life and they turn to you and say, hey, I love you, but Pastor Mark said that I don't have to do anything that you tell me to do anymore. That's not what I told you, okay? That's not it at all. But what I realize it does say, it is talking to a difference in our relationships as we do grow older with our parents as well. But there are two things that he's talking about. He's talking about obedience and honor. Two things, obedience and honor. Obedience meaning that you are to obey the one that you are under authority with. And that is of honor. Then you are to give honor or you are to, to value. So it covers the whole room. Regardless of where you are in this relationship with a parent, then it covers all of us. But it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. There's some powerful meaning and inference there. 
One is this, that parents are to teach on behalf of the Lord, is what it infers, that we teach our children on behalf of the Lord. The second part of that is that children are to obey the parents. So here's sort of the progression of how this works, that parents are teaching what God teaches in obedience, that children are being obedient to parents as unto the Lord, and then God in the ultimate end is glorified. And you say, Mark, you do not live in my home. You have no idea what's going on right now. I don't know what kind of weird kind of house that maybe that you had, but yet this is not the cycle that is working. Can I tell you, that, not, that did not always work in our house either. The principle is true. The principle is true, but there are some, uh, uh, what would I say, extenuating circumstances because of the sinful nature of parents and the sinful nature of children that causes it to simply sometimes not go exactly that way. That's why I said that I paint this with great grace and great mercy, but it still does not change the principles of truth that we find in Scripture. And so he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, is what he says. Well, that word right, many times I think when we first read that, we think of that meaning that that means of right behavior. But it's the very same word that is used throughout Scripture for the word righteousness. And that is what is just in the eyes of God, is what he's talking about. And when we talk about righteousness, we realize that our righteousness is not a righteousness within ourselves, but it's that within the, that of the work of God uh, through Christ on the cross. And so what we understand is that, that our righteousness is not based upon our faithfulness, but that on the faithfulness of Christ. So it has to do with our heart and what God has done in our heart. So what this scripture is more about, it is really more about the results of a transformed heart. It is what God does in the lives of our children as we teach them a great knowledge about God and how they respond to that understanding of who God is. But yet, there's a challenge here. And the challenge, well, it relates to our doctrinal belief when it comes to children. And our doctrinal belief at Hope Fellowship when it comes to children is this. That we do not believe that children are innately good. Okay? That's it, right? You say, Mark, that's a terrible thing. You know, is that in your doctrinal statements? No, I just kind of pulled that out for you today. But you understand that they're sinners, right? They're little sinners living in a house with big sinners. We've talked about this before. So there's going to be conflict. We understand that just like marriage, then there's going to be conflict in parenting with our children. And that's why Paul gives us these four verses. And that's why Asaph writes this psalm that we find in Psalm 78 that we're going to write. Because this is a challenge. And so what it brings us back to an understanding is that biblical obedience is not just about behavioral modification. It's more than that because of our sinful nature. It's about heart transformation is what this is about. How you and I as parents are giving the right fuel for our children for righteous behavior within our lives. 
But it's more than just being authoritative. It's more than me just because I'm the father with my three sons to say to them, you're going to do this because I am the father and I am the spiritual leader of our home. And so you're going to do that because what Paul writes is this. If we're just giving them rules by themselves, then we're going to provoke our children to anger because of our rebellious nature. So you've got to do something different. And that is not just be the authority figure, but you also got to be the teacher you got to teach them about god if they're going to obey the authority then they have to understand and know god that's why he puts in here this is about training and discipling as well and discipline it's instilling a hope into the lives of our children a trust in god that brings obedience in their life verse four Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what is Paul saying and what is he not saying here? That this is not a verse that you use just to scold your kids with. This is not a verse that is the perfect biblical threat, isn't it? If you don't do what I say as your father, then God is going to come down and God is going to kill you at a very young age, right? Yes, I would ask in the room how many parents have ever used that as a threat to their children, but I don't want to ask that to you, you know? And you probably don't want to ask me if I've ever used it either, right? So let's just leave it at that. But there's more to this than just that alone. Understand that this is about training and admonishing our children. But we spend so much of the bulk of our time, I think, in our families and our kids with the discipline aspect that we spend very little time with the instructing And what I realized when Paul wrote these words is that there has to be a balance between the two. If it's all discipline, then you provoke them to anger because of their rebellious nature. So there has to be a balance between that of discipline and teaching. Both are essential. But all of our kids are different, aren't they? None of our kiddos, right? None of our children popped out with i use the term popped out i don't you know what i mean right they none of them came into this world with an instruction manual did they no you thought that well god has a sense of humor figure it out yourself right and they're all different well the first one that reba and i had in our life chadwick we were very young and we didn't know did we we kind of figured it out on our own we really did chad was our experimental project is what he was right yes so we kind of figured it out on our own with chadwick and then bradley came along bradley is this total compliant type individual who just does everything and anything and if you look at him to discipline him he immediately busts into crying runs to his bedroom and you can hear him repenting before god because he did something wrong correct And then Grayson comes along, and we still can't figure him out, right? He is the family conundrum. We we just he's a little of both and not of either one. So it's a wonderful thing. It really is. But I think about our Chadwick. When he came into our life, Chad was the type of individual, and much like me, now that I understand this more, where no just wasn't enough for him it was no with a very long explanation of why no right and so i learned very early with chadwick that the authority thing oh understanding biblical truth yes not doubting that at all 
But the authority thing with Chad, if it was just that alone without the teaching aspect of it, just it brought to surface his rebellion in a greater way. So it took both of them, that of authority and teaching. How many of you have ever had a child or you have a child that just no did not suffice? Raise your hand if you have one of those. Good, terrific. How many have ever plotted to kill them? No, don't, 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 don't raise your hand, right? No, yeah. Some of you say I did more than plot. Don't even, no, don't confess that right now. I don't want to know it, okay? That's between you and the Lord, absolutely, right? So it comes back to this teaching in Ephesians that there has to be a balance between these two in the lives of our children of that of discipline and instruction. And I think sometimes when you have that child, and I look at me, you know, my Chadwick, and I, and I think I see those qualities in him now as, a, as an amazing man, a tremendous father, a husband, a protector of his community, a man that I respect greatly. I see those qualities in him now, and I recognize him back when he was that little guy. When no was not always enough, he had to have instruction to go with that. So I got hung up on those three words, bring them up. And what that means to us today. So it's Psalm 78 verse 1. It's a, it's a masculine. A masculine in the book of Psalms is a collection of wisdom that you and I cannot figure out on our own. And so what Asaph does when he writes this masculine to you and I about children, about teaching them, he starts out by saying give ear. What he means by give ear is to simply lean in, to take a moment away from whatever you're doing and listen because this is very worthy for you and I to hear. And so here's the words he says after give ear. He says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. To the next, Look at this verse. To the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. That's what I want for my boys. That's what we want for our children. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they, this is what he's saying, you don't want them to become, should be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And what I realized, this is a very unique problem and challenge that we face because of children being sinners as they are. So it requires a very unique educational process within their life. The challenge calls for a very unique remedy with our kids. And that's what this Psalms teaches us. Two thoughts. The first is this. The basis for hope we teach our children is the nature of and the character of God. Now, let that sink in for a moment. The basis of hope that we teach our children. Now, the word hope is that of confidence and that of trust in God. So the basis of that hope is that of the character and the nature of God. So let me read verse 5 again. He established a 
testimony of Jacob, one, and appointed a law in Israel, two, which he commanded our fathers to teach those things to their children. Excuse me. Two things he does here to establish hope and confidence and trust in God. One, he appointed a law. When he read that, when that was read in the tabernacle to all the Israelites, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the Ten Commandments. It takes us back to the book of Exodus, chapter 78, verse 5, that he established, or or, uh, Exodus 34, verse 28. So he, speaking of Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread or drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So I I will say this up front to you. There are, in Scripture, non-negotiables. There are things that are right and wrong. The Ten Commandments are not suggestions. They are not options for you and I within our lives. So they are non-negotiables. But I think it's important how we teach them to our children. It's what he's saying. He's saying, remember how the commandments were given. That they were not given so that if you keep them, God loves you more. That's not the purpose of the commandments at all in our life. In fact, when God gave us the commandments, God in his sovereignty knew from the very beginning that you and I would struggle with two of them, much less ten of them. Amen? Isn't that right? Yes. So what are they there for? They're there to push us closer to the one that enables us through love and mercy and kindness and grace to keep them. And that is God. It brings us to God. It sets an ideal for our lives that pushes us to God is what the purpose of the commandments are within our lives. Because rules have never saved anyone. Never. But they push us to the one who can save us and has saved us. It's a relationship of mercy and grace and kindness and love. And from that relationship, we obey God. So Asaph does not leave us with just rules alone. But he says, hey, there are expectations from God. Understand that. But if you take that back to Ephesians... Then fathers, do not provoke your children, but teach them. So rules alone provoke their rebellion in their lives. So what does he do? He says, but he has also established a testimony. You have to have both. What does that mean, Mark? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Perfect. It's Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words before the commandments of Moses, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before the commandments, God reminds us of his character in nature. Before the rules, God teaches them of himself. The first words of the commandment don't deal with the law. They deal with the nature of God and who he is as God. It has everything to do with God's mercy and his immeasurable grace. His father-like care who took care of his children while they were in Egyptian slavery and brought them out in the Exodus. That understanding of God becomes the fuel for their obedience. Understand that. That what Asaph is writing us doesn't start with a testimony of God's demands. It starts with a testimony of God's goodness. And I thought about this, and this is a powerful thought, and I'm going to kind of flesh this out in a moment, a little more with you. 
that is something so powerfully critical for us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and whatever our relationships are with children. That God speaks to Israel about the testimony of the Exodus before he gives them the commands. Again, it's just like what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. But what I realized when I read this was that there was only one Exodus. So how does every subsequent generation experience that in their lives? They experience that by being taught by the generation before. So how are they going to know unless we teach them? And how are they are going to how will they ever obey unless they know about the goodness and the mercy and the love and the kindness and the miraculous power of God? So where have you started with your children? That's a thought, right? Have you started with a heavy hand of authority? No, you cannot do that because I am the father or I am the mother or I am the grandfather or I am the grandmother. You can't do that because I am in God's chain of authority and you cannot do that. Or did you start like Asaph starts and like Paul teaches us and you start with teaching him who God is and the mercy and the goodness and the kindness of God, God's character and nature. And from that character and nature and the understanding of that comes obedience. And you get this right some days, and you get this wrong some days. And there's some days when you have that child that will push you absolutely to the very end of your patience, and you forget all about teaching, and you're all about discipline, right? And we have those moments, and I've been there, you've been there, and as parents, you will be there again. I realize that, but this principle rings true every time that if we will teach them that about God, if we'll teach them about the character and nature of God, that from that understanding of God comes the fuel for obedience in their life. But who is going to tell those generations? Because God doesn't give us a backup for establishing this hope, this confidence in their hearts. It's you. It's me. It's the church. It's us. It's our responsibility that we have with children. So go back to verse 1 for a moment. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us that we will not hide them from their children, but tell but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. One, he says, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. And two, the wonders that he has done. And I want to tell you, I want to talk about these two things for a moment. Remember to teach your children about the glorious deeds of the Lord. Here's what he's saying to those that are reading this in the temple and they're reading this mascal for the first time or maybe hearing it. He's saying to them, there is a reason that you're no longer slaves. There is a reason that you're sitting here in the temple. There's a reason that you're sitting here at Hope Fellowship this morning. There's a reason that you are alive. There's a reason that you are redeemed. There's a reason that you're no longer slaves. And for them, it was that, let me remind you, God sent plagues to soften the heart of Pharaoh. That God opened the Red Sea. He sends manna to feed you in the wilderness. He opens a rock and water gushes forth. These things do not just happen apart from a sovereign and a providential God. So make this practical with your kids. 
when you sit down to dinner with them or, or wherever in the living room, that you talk with them about this is why you have what you have and this is why you live where you live and this is why you have food to eat and clothing to wear and this is why you have resources to live on. It's not just because I go to work or, or your mother goes to work or whatever. It is because God provides because these are his glorious deeds of the Lord and you don't deserve them, but God gives them to you by his great grace. Have you had that conversation? My two-year-old granddaughter, Selah Gray, she comes to church here. She's at first service. If you've ever seen her at the, after first service, then she's the little beauty that runs across the front of the church and screaming, Papa, Papa, Papa. And she, and she, she comes and just dives in my arms, and I love her greatly. But she has so much energy. She has, I mean, it's just like, it just wears me out talking about it, you know. And I'm 64, right? And, and so it does. <clears throat> and she has that much energy on one donut. I can't imagine what she'd have on two donuts as well, right? I want to do that. I want to give her the second donut before she goes home after second service just to hear what their parents experience, right? You know, be kind of fun, wouldn't it? <clears throat> But she loves blueberry donuts, right? And she has to have one of those when she comes here on Sunday morning. And, and so I hope this transitions to her coming to church, not for donuts, but for God. But I think it will at some point, right? And so she has to have that. I mean, how, many, how, how often have you ever sit down with your children and said, here's why a donut tastes the way it does? Because God made it taste like that. Because it could have tasted like the box it came in. Or every donut out there could taste the same but yet they taste like it does and it's enjoyable for you to eat because that's a common grace of God that God made that so that you would simply find joy in him. Think about it. It's a common grace of God. His glorious deeds in our life that we teach our children. But then he said something here that just caught my attention. He said that you should remember to teach your children the wonders that God has done. You say, Mark, isn't that the same thing as glorious deeds and his wonders? No, no. Here's what the wonders are. That God continues to show us and to provide for us his glorious deeds even when we are rebellious and unfaithful and sinful in our relationship with him. That's it. Yes. If you look at Israel, you see this history. You, you see the his history of Israel and the wickedness of all the years uh, of, of them. And then you see God come in. And what does God continually do in the life of Israel? Despite their wickedness, he shows them great grace and he shows them great mercy. And that is the great wonder of God. So I wrote in my journal this week about that of my life with my children and the life of my grandchildren, that you can't magnify grace until you've emphasized sin. What, what does that mean, Mark? That means that I never really understand the magnitude of great grace as God shows toward me unless I understand the sin of my life. 
Because if I look at the true nature of my sin and the magnitude of my sin, how much more does that make grace so unbelievable? And how much does that magnify the goodness of God within my life when I see my sin for what it is? And so I have to have those sin conversations with my children. That's about, that's, that's what it is to train them. So I've told you this before. It fits perfect here. So I had three sons. I have three sons. None of them are living at home anymore. But yet when they were home, especially the two older ones, Chad and Brad, when they were in high school and they were dating and they would come home from a date, first of all, that and I, and I give credit to where it's due, and that is to my wife, to Reba, that she would never go to sleep until all of her boys were in the house under the roof. Isn't that correct? Yes. And she would try her best to keep me awake and I would fall asleep, right? And I would always say, they can fend for themselves. I'm going to bed, right? It's true. And, and so when they come home, if I'd fallen asleep, she would wake me up and she said, the boys are home, go talk with them. I'd always set this kind of, this ritual, this discipline that when my boys came home, after a date, I would go to their bedroom, I'd sit down on their bed, and I would have a conversation, and I would always ask them that question that they maybe would hate for me to ask them, and I'd always say to them, did you maintain your sexual purity tonight on your date, or did you surrender to temptation? You say, Mark, you actually asked them that? I did. Yes. Because I wanted to create this culture and this understanding in our home of great grace and great mercy. So we celebrate the glorious deeds of the Lord together, yes. But we also celebrate the wonders that God has done. We teach the wonders that God has done. And that is that in the middle of our sinfulness, God is merciful and God is kind and God is gracious. And, and there is forgiveness for those moments when we do fail God. But we have to have that sin conversation with our, our children. Because how is the vastness of grace realized apart from the understanding of the vileness of our sin? So we have to see that as Asaph teaches that to you and I about what it means to instruct our children. Verse 6, and we start to tie this up. Now this morning, I'm going to do something I never do with you. And you say, Mark, what is that? I'm going to give you three steps to something. You know me. I am not a three-step teacher or preacher. I teach in the character and the nature of God. And then I believe that from that, you build those things out. But I want to give you three steps to something this morning. I know, and it's kind of out of character for me, but here it goes in just a moment. But let me read this text, verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. What a huge responsibility that we have not to just teach it to those that are in our house, but to teach it to them. So they teach it to the next generation and their, their children's children as well. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. And then he says, that you, so that you do that to avoid, verse 8, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So what's the antidote for verse 8? The ultimate goal of teaching and training our children is hope. 
confidence and trust in God. So here's three steps. Very theologically systematic for us today. It is essential that we implant in our children the knowledge of God. It is essential that we implant in our children a knowledge of God. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them is what it says. There is so much at stake for you and I here, not for just the generation that is in our home, but for generations to come. There is more to this just bring them up than teaching them good life skills or how to go out and get a job or academia or all those things, which are all important and good within themselves. There's more at stake than this, but it's to instill a hope with God, a trust of God, a confidence in God within them that, that it is for the sake of them and for their children's children. Because there was only one exodus. And how was that information passed along to other generations? It's taught to them. It's a knowledge of God that transforms our hearts. So it's essential that we implant first in our children a knowledge of God. How are you doing that intentionally in your home? Then he says, second, it is the knowledge of God that will lead them to hope, confidence, and trust in God. In order for me to place hope and trust in something, I have to know it. I have to be familiar with it. I have to have an understanding of it. And so that's what he's saying, that the understanding, the knowledge of God will lead to that hope, will lead me to place trust and confidence in God. John, 1 John 3 and 3 says this, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see, it's not just bare doctrine. It's not just bare doctrine that produces inward holiness. It's not that at all. No. No, it's what our children hope in. It's what they bank on. It's what they long for. It's what they desire in life that fuels the godliness of their life. It's what it is. So it starts with me imparting and implanting a a knowledge of God, which leads to them trusting and having confidence with God. And the third step, it's our children's hope, that confidence in God that will lead to their obedience to God. Verse 7 so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I think here's why so many attempts at spiritual formation in lives, our children have failed at times. I think it is. Children must learn from us to hope in God before they learn to obey in God. It goes back to what Ephesians teaches, Paul teaches us about fathers that of provoking their children because we miss the part about teaching them. We miss the part about making sure they have an amazing and deep understanding and knowledge of God. And we do that by teaching and we do that by modeling and we do that by example and we do that by serving as well. But he says it has to start with a knowledge of God. That knowledge leads to hope and confidence in God and that hope and confidence in God leads to their obedience to God is where we are. Children learn to have hope in God before they learn to obey God. Because of our sinful nature, that the more we force them outside of an understanding of the character and the nature of God, the more we find that they rebel against that authority. 
And I know just saying that for some of you in the room, that 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 brings a lot of guilt on you at this very moment because you see where you have failed in those areas and you see where you could have done things different. And can I tell you that if you looked at all of your life in that way, then we're hopeless. Understand that our hope is found in God and our hope is found in that the grace and mercy of God within our lives. Realize that today. And if your kids are wayward, if they're not walking with Christ today, then I want to tell you, don't give up on them because God has not given up on them. Trust God. God's ability to save has not been diminished by that of the frequency and the power of sin in the world. Absolutely not. So trust God with their lives this morning. But when I see this verse and I thought about this and I thought about my own boys, that because we are sinners, we all resent Bear authority over our life. And that's just the way we're wired as as sinful beings. So this journey, as I close and I bring this all together, this journey today begins with a knowledge of God's character in nature. It begins with that. If you're wanting to know where to start with your family, where to start with your children, start there with that knowledge of God, implanting that, have an intentional plan to do that. And we as a church are committed to that as well. And to understand that that knowledge of God leads to hope. It leads to trust. It leads to that of confidence in God Not a confidence in the world because the world has its own agenda for our family. Understand that. But what this does in knowing God and having hope and confidence in God allows our children to know the difference between a truth and a lie. And then that confidence leads to obedience. Not perfect obedience. Because none of us in this room are perfect. And if you think you are, then that's the sin of pride. Come up, please, after service, and we'll pray over you. We really will, right? Yeah, no. I think when, and I think one of my cautions about sometimes giving you the five steps to living your best life or whatever is that when you fail in one of those steps, you feel like a total failure of everything because you didn't go through the proper order. And I think in this concept, this principle, this biblical principle of imparting a knowledge of God into our children, that knowledge producing confidence and trust in God, And from that relationship comes obedience. It's many times a bumpy, rocky road. It is. Because of our sinful nature. And because of our inability to not always get it right. It's bumpy and it's rocky. So I say to all parents in the room. 
give yourself some grace today. To breathe in deep and exhale. And to take the plan that God has given you and enact that plan in your family's life. Because I think if we take this as a pattern and we lay it over our families, then we're all going to find that some of the edges do not match. And what I've learned about God is where they don't match, God fills in those spaces with grace and love and mercy. Amen? He does. So trust Him. Trust Him. But don't leave here and do nothing. Right? Don't use grace as somehow, if you know the game of Monopoly, just to get out of jail card, right? I have grace, so I don't have to, I don't have to worry about this. No. It is a call in our life. Because there was one exodus from Egypt. Then how was the next generation, the next generation, the next generation going to know about that? because God doesn't do an exodus for every generation. We tell them. We tell them. So tell them. When you sit down together, tell them. When you ride in the car, you tell them. And you introduce your children to God that they may know Him and they may have confidence and trust in him that they will obey him. So allow me to pray for you for a moment and pray with you. So if you can find a posture of prayer, sitting there quietly or bowing your heads or whatever that posture of prayer is to you, let me pray for you for a moment. So Father, you know more than I the demographics of this room because these are your children. And God, in this room, we have parents who appear to have breezed through parenthood and then parents who have seemingly been in a war. So there's everything on the spectrum in here, God, with your kids. So, Father, I ask you, as I know you do, meet everyone in this room right where they are. Meet them where they are, God. Father, challenge us to whatever it takes to make sure that our children know you even greater than academia, even greater than life skills that they know you. And God, from that, by the Spirit working in their life, comes hope, trust, and confidence in you. And out of that comes God, as parents, help us to balance 
that of teaching and discipline so that we do not provoke our children, but we teach them and guide them and help them to understand God in a greater way. Father, we recognize your biblical order of authority in the home. We understand that. And God, no one is questioning that today. But God, you have given us the practices in which that is established and in which that is valued. So help us to take these principles, apply them to our families so that you would be glorified in all things. Thank you, Father. God, I pray for wayward kids today. Those that are not following you. Those that have been taught your ways, but yet they've decided they want to go their way. And God, we know that you specialize in prodigals. And so, Father, we give that to you. We surrender that to you today, Lord. We refuse the guilt and the condemnation of the enemy. Because, God, we know that's not the way you work in our life. So, Lord, we surrender them to you. We pray for them. We surrender that to you, God, that you are able to work in their life wherever they are and whatever situation they are in. Nothing is impossible to you. Because, God, if you you could reach us, you could reach them. Father, we pray over our families and our children as they are bombarded with the agenda of the world, as things in our culture culture are being redefined and being placed before our children as truth. Help our children to know a lie from the truth, to know your work, and in contrast to the work of the enemy. God, we pray over our children. And in your name, we declare today that they are yours. They do not belong to the enemy. They do not belong to the whims of the world. They're yours. And Father, that's where we stand today. Thank you, Father. Help us to enable our children to know you. Father, we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.